Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. I'm uh I got to let you know something. Hit me. To uh spite you for a couple episodes ago, I drank some chocolate milk for dinner. I love you. <laughs> I hope I hope it goes down smooth and comes up rough. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And this is Dylan. And we're here for you on December 24th, the day before Christmas, if you care about Christmas. What other two-month-old podcast cares enough about the listeners to record at this time of year? I don't know the answer to that question. That was just rhetorical. But here we are. (laughs) So, this is going to hopefully be a pretty... Easy, breezy, beautiful episode. We're going to sort of do a continuation of last week's episode when we were talking about silent protagonists. Uh, This time we're going to talk about when they're not quite so silent and when that works and also when it doesn't work quite so well. somewhere in between. Yeah. But first of all, it is the 24th, so if you care about Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you don't, I hope that whatever celebration you've had around this time of year has gone beautifully and if you don't care at all about celebrations in this time of year then join me in wishing a very happy birthday to your best friend and mine ricky martin that's right sure. 46 years of living la vida loca for ricky martin today oh, on december yep. 24th okay cool <laughs> <laughs> say what you gotta say i guess i mean that was it i just you know weird flex but okay <laughs> Yeah, that was, you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I am very tired. Um, if my voice peters out and dies during this episode, it is because I have... It's the holidays and I work in retail. It is it is my curse. But here we are, and we're going to have fun, and I'm here hanging out with my best friend Dylan. Hey. So it's going to be a good time. Um, like right. I said, if I peter out and die... <laughs> Oh man, twas the night before Christmas, and all <laughs> Chris it, was dead. And through your speakers, not a Chris was making noise. Nope. I don't know. It's gonna be bad podcasting. <laughs> Merry um, Christmas. That was the worst noise that you have ever produced. <laughs> okay, before Can't wait we to hear that back, before we expel any more poison into our listeners' ears. Uh, <laughs> so. Silent protagonists are a staple of video gaming history. We talked a lot about this last week, but in case you didn't listen to that and you don't want to go back and, you know, interrupt this good listening experience, um, <laughs> a uh, a quick rundown. 
we just sort of talked last week about sort of what they are and how character can kind of be inferred from the way that a silent protagonist be. It was uh, the Dylan a- Stans silent protagonist hour. Yeah, Dylan very <laughs> much loves silent protagonists, and so that was uh, he, a lot They're, of Dylan's They are takes. the hill I will die on. <laughs> That's fair. I love them too. Um, and a good one that we sort of used as our early example was uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, and I'm not talking about the awful new one. I'm talking about the charming old one. Well, we He's... don't know. The new one might just be a freakish, charming hedgehog. And really, isn't that what Sonic's all about, Chris? You're dead to me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Sonic is a good example of a very well-designed silent protagonist. All of his original sprite animations are incredibly evocative. He's got a ton of personality baked into just, like, the way that he moves and the way that he stands and, like, the way that he's shaped. Like, everything about him gives off the ideas of, like, speed and 90s tood. So, you know, maybe that's why he's not aged so well in some respects, but it's a good design and it leaves a very firm image in your mind of, like, I feel like I know what this guy's about. Sonic's also an interesting uh, sort of case study in looking at when silent protagonists aren't quite so silent, because he's been not silent a lot, in a lot of very different ways. For the past 20 years, more or less. Yeah. Dylan, you are the resident expert on all things Sonic, so why don't you take us through some of Sonic's early brushes with voice acting? Alright, so uh, the original voice for Sonic was in the early 90s Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon, which was... Which are very fun. Vaguely... Okay, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Those those cartoons suck. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want you to know that like, I have not touched any piece of media related to that cartoon in the past 10 to 15 years. So, okay, there there are three 90s Sonic cartoons. You might be thinking of the good one. There was one before that that was very... There was one before that that was very inspired by, like, the Roadrunner Coyote cartoons and that thank aesthetic. You for, thank you for giving me... Far more credit than I deserve in assuming I was talking about the good one. <laughs> you were talking about the bad one. No, I have no cause, idea. Because I remember watching that on Toon Disney, the the bad one, and I, I had fond memories of it. And, like, you know, it has become a common pastime of me and my friends back home in Cleveland to watch the So Bad They're Good cartoon adaptations of various video games. See... <laughs> the Street Fighter cartoon, see, uh... <laughs> guns are for wimps! <laughs> I love guns. Guns are for wimps. Uh, yeah, the, uh, Street Fighter cartoon, the the amazingly bad uh, Donkey Kong CG cartoon. There's a Donkey Kong CG... <laughs> oh, have CG... you not? I probably peaked the mic. I'm gonna I don't check care, I'll, quick, pe- but... I'll bring it down. This is great podcasting. <laughs> have you not seen... <laughs> I have not... Okay, there is a musical when you say, ve- when you say very bad episode. CG... Okay, yes. When you say very bad CG... Yes. On a scale from... I typed in a random word into Steam and got an unfinished Unreal Engine game... (laughs) To, like, the best I'm willing to give you here in my assumptions is Jimmy Neutron. Like, where on that sliding scale do we rest? Jimmy Neutron was going to come up here. (laughs) And let me tell you, uh, this show makes Jimmy Neutron look like goddamn Pixar. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) 
Anyway, we uh, need to talk about Sonic. <laughs> okay, but actually, now that I think about it, that is another case of giving a silent protagonist a voice. They give Donkey Kong a voice? Oh, he sings, my dude. Oh, okay, we're... <laughs> we're adding that to the episode. Yes, okay, let's go back to Sonic because... Yeah, let's, let's scaffold get our this shit. I'm, I'm bringing my teaching artist brain into this, but, like, we're coming back to Donkey. <laughs> Putting a bullet right there. <laughs> Maybe maybe multiple bullets. He might need several. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, yes, Sonic. Um, there is the Roadrunner Coyote-inspired Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon, um, which is terrible. It has not aged well at all. Like, we watched <laughs> this, like, getting some drinks, thinking, ah, this will be a good time, just like the Donkey Kong cartoon or the Ilk. And... We watched it, and it's just not good. <laughs> like, it's bad, dude. Um, and tell me and about so this Sonic. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list the other 90s shows, because they're all kind okay. of under the same, I want to say zeitgeist, but that's probably not the right use of that term. Um, I, 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 get, I, know, I get what you mean. I know what... Yeah. They, they are all kind of this similar 90s raditude, uh, all voiced by the same person, Jaleel White. Um <laughs> Ratitude needs to be brought back. <laughs> Stop. No, it doesn't. Uh, Jaleel White, that is the the actor's name for Steve Urkel, right? Yes, yes. Okay, yes. we're good. I double-checked that. Which is now. another of my favorite little bits of, like, actor crossover. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so you, you have Jaleel White, and then the first one, he's just, you know, he's like, Hey, Dr. Eggman, you suck! Or, like, you know, like, uh... Look at the dumb bots over there, you know, like saying like these stupid nothingisms. But the, uh, the, you know, the thing about that though, they're mm-hmm. stupid. That is not good writing. But when you consider that the very first image anyone ever gets of Sonic is him popping up, winking and wagging his finger in a like eh 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 kind of way, like that's kind of perfect character writing for him. Oh yeah, no, it's very apt for Sonic. It needs um, refinement. Definitely. But... Uh I think Something that, like, writers for Sonic don't really seem to get about the character, specifically the classic version of the character, is that there is a wholesomeness to Sonic that I think uh, writers kind of want to ignore. Yeah. Um, I feel like you run into that with a lot of adaptations involving, like, characters where there's, like, one thing that people know about them is you run into the trouble of, like... You have to give them ratitude. Yeah, like, for Sonic, it's like, Sonic has to have ratitude at all times, it's it's the same problem of like to tell a, a brief anecdote um i was once on the train here in chicago and i was going down to a class i was taking a voiceover class mm-hmm. oh, and there right, was right. a couple of people sitting across from me dylan you know the story <laughs> yes i love and they this were, story they were discussing uh dragon ball z which was just very wholesome because it was like this like i would guess like probably 45 to 50 year old black dude and this like 18 or 19 year old nerdy white guy and they were both equally geeked out about Dragon Ball Z which like thrilled me a little bit in a like aw crossing boundaries look at these strangers having a bonding experience about your friend and mine Goku um but I'm sitting there and I'm just sort of like casually eavesdropping because I'm invested now and I hear the younger guy say something to the effect of yeah, I've been thinking about getting into voiceover because, I mean, 
I can do all of the voices from Dragon Ball Z abridged. <laughs> and me sitting across the train from them on my way to a voiceover class with my, you know, degree and experience as a performer. And I just sort of like died. <laughs> but like the point I'm getting at is here is like this guy, I'm sure he can do, you know, passable or maybe even very good impressions of I can these do characters. Tristan from Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. Yeah. But the the issue is like you you can't do a performance in that voice if all you can do is an impression. You have to be able to like add the different nuances and like act in a character voice in order for it to like actually be reasonable. Speaking uh, as someone who like had that mentality in middle school, like when you are replicating a voice, you are doing just that. You're thinking, how would this actor who uses this voice say this line? And you are not actually putting the thought or the work into the line yourself to think, like, this is what I am trying to convey to exactly, the audience. Exactly, exactly. Um, there's a great scene in one of my favorite documentaries called I Know That Voice, in which Joe DiMaggio just interviews a whole bunch of his voice actor friends. Uh, and one of the one of the, I don't remember who starts the bit, but someone's like, yeah, anyone can do like a passable Bugs Bunny but can you do Shakespeare as Bugs Bunny and then there's just a montage of all these voice actors doing like voices that they are famous for like going through different Shakespeare soliloquies and it's so good and like I feel like that's the problem that a lot of like this 90s era of Sonic ran into is they were like we're gonna give him Ratitude and then they didn't consider whether that was always the, the appropriate read right right <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I don't mean to go on this huge digression, but I, I need to talk about the fucking Japanese Sonic covers. <laughs> Every Sonic the Hedgehog Japanese cover has, like, some sort of blurb on it. And uh, the one that I'm looking at right now is the original Sonic the Hedgehog cover. And on it, like, near the bottom of, like, in very fine print, you can read, don't just sit there and waste your press, sorry didn't do my vocal warm-ups don't just <laughs> sit there and waste your precious time when you want to do something do it right away do it when you can it's the only way to live a life without regrets sega all, all right lin-manuel miranda's <laughs> twitter account <laughs> like what and everything is like that like oh my gosh i'm sorry i have to i have to look it all up now i'm this is incredible i didn't know that sega was offering like pearls of genuine wisdom <laughs> yeah no and like sonic I, this is the type of personality, like, the the free spirit that, like, I, I think the creators perceive Sonic to have. Yeah. Where there's, like, there's this layer of wholesomeness to it that, like, just gets lost. Um, Sonic CD. To live a life of power, you must have faith that what you believe is right, even if others tell you you're wrong. The first thing you must do is live a life of power. Uh, to live a life of power is to find courage. You must be ready to reach beyond the boundaries of time itself. And to do that... <laughs> All you need to, all you need, is the will to take that first step. What? All right, one more. Sonic. 3. I need to. I need to turn this podcast off and go like, cut down a tree, <laughs> and then feed it to the hungry. Okay, there's there's one more, and I'm hoping I can find it because it has one of my favorite sign offs ever. So this is for the Sonic and Knuckles cover, and now I'm trying to enlarge it so I can actually read the text so you have the Sonic and Knuckles logo then the title and then under that again in super fine English print Sonic races through the green fields the sun races through a blue sky filled with white clouds 
The ways of his heart are much like the sun. Sonic runs and rests. The sun rises and sets. Don't give up on the sun. Don't make the sun laugh at you. What the fuck? What does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> well, Sonic now I'm is... living in constant fear of that I'm living a life in which the sun is laughing. <laughs> Sonic is a carefree spirit, and he is also a poet. Are you sure that he wasn't saying, don't let your son laugh at you? <laughs> <laughs> Telling that to the parents by, like, thinking yep. about buying yep. this for their kids. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I love that. I was completely unaware of this, and I I agree. I think that this speaks to, like, a little bit more of the character that they were trying to get at. Now I'm thinking about the... OVA Sonic, that is my favorite. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, okay. But anyway, to to kind of wrap up the rest of Jaleel White Sonic, um, so there's the Roadrunner and Coyote 1, which sucks, and Sonic has his typical raditude self, and it it's kind of annoying and grating and irritating because there's nothing to really become attached to mm-hmm. in that cartoon. Um, because, like, you know, in the, uh, the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons, like, even though, like, there's no real dialogue... And even though, like, there's no real protagonist, you still kind of feel for the coyote just because he is humanized. Yeah. Um, and, like, whether or not you want to see him catch the Roadrunner is, like, a separate issue. But, like, you feel some you degree care about of, like, dude. empathy. Yeah, exactly. Sonic, you know, the, the people who would be in the coyote's place are the bad guys, and they're dumb and annoying. And then you have Sonic, and Sonic is just this snide little fuck. <laughs> so there's there's really nothing there. The second Sonic cartoon is like this post like post apocalyptic like Fern Gully esque thing. Where now uh, this one I remember being very bad, but I also remember really liking. <laughs> uh, this one actually a lot of people seem to like. Like this is the popular one, and I haven't actually seen it myself. Not since I was like four or five and rented a VHS of it at a local video store, but. You know, from what I re- what I remember, like the the fact that there is this very dark story, and you know, Sonic has stakes and things that he cares about. Sonic has family relations. Sonic has friends, and they all have. There is an actual emotional center. Then Sonic's kind of snide, ratitude behavior becomes a little bit more endearing because he is fighting overwhelming odds. And then there's the third cartoon. Sonic Underground, which I don't really get, like. Sonic is the the son of a queen, and he has two siblings, and they form a rock band. I was going to say, is this for... the one with the punk band? This is the one with the punk band. Yeah, is this all the of one them. That's the most '90s thing that's ever existed. Uh, Sonic's brother and sister, also voiced by Jaleel White. <laughs> Oh god, uh, I need the footage so, from the sound of Jaleel and White just are their names. wildly talking to himself. <laughs> oh, I need that. But, oh my goodness, I, I don't know what the idea behind that show was. And, like, you know, I'm sure the Sonic as a character in that is, like, fine, but that show had other problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the Sonic from the Sonic OVA. Uh, I've never seen the OVA in Japanese because, you know, you rent that once um, as a kid and you hear the English voices and you are now attached to the English voice for life, yep. even if it is not good. Um, but that Sonic is uh, kind of a dick, honestly. I love him. He's like my favorite Sonic, but like he he's just kind of 
he he just kind of wants to relax and not do anything and people keep asking him to save the world and he's like all right i guess i'll do it fine there's such a i love that ova but there's such a weird energy to it like yeah yeah i i it's hard to describe it's worth looking up i think it's on youtube it um is. uh no one has the rights to it currently because adv films does not exist anymore so you yeah. can very easily technically legally that's a legal gray area um look it up on youtube and watch the whole thing yeah and it's like it's got this weird like it in a lot of ways it feels like the kind of story that would be made now but if it good. was polished up a little bit more like it's got yeah. this this energy that makes me think of like i don't know a little bit something like gravity falls ish yeah i could see that that's like a really weird uh that's a weird grab but it makes sense it's a weird grab and i'm i'm having trouble this trouble where like i can't pin down what it is about it that makes me think that way i mean it's got this nice balance of like comedy with like a sinister undertone um yeah and like you know it is not well written mind you but like (laughs) nope (laughs) they they hit enough of the right notes that like you're still you're enjoying what you're watching at least i don't know it it is a very weird beast but yeah and then you know has oh sorry i was just gonna say a lot of the appeal of that is it's aesthetics um it uses the same art style as sonic cd which uh lovely and uh, <laughs> lovely illustrator man tyson hess uh used as like kind of the basis for his designs for sonic mania um the sonic mania opening so you know it, it's got it's got this innate um i don't want to say artistic appeal but it has this innate uh aesthetic appeal moving forward yeah sonic then canonically talks yeah there have been three okay correct yes yeah so current voice actor for sonic is roger craig smith yes uh there were i don't remember who did it before him Uh, jason griffith thank you don't worry i i know my sonic uh yeah so yeah once uh four kids got the rights to sonic x they hired the studio that does all their other shows to dub sonic x and that studio would also go on to do the Sonic in the games, um, the characters in the games, rather. Um, before that, you had Ryan Drummond as Sonic, and I think they had just a bunch of talent in, I want to say, New York. Um, I, yeah. I, st- I think it was still New York. but I think that's correct. Yeah. Uh, you hit Sonic Adventure, which is the first game in which he talks, I believe. Yes. And that Sonic has basically been, you know, there's been some alterations and some differences, but, like, the vibe that was set for that is basically the Sonic that we've gotten in all of the game media since then. Yes and no. Uh, I'll get into that later, but continue. I'm talking talking broad strokes. I don't want to, I don't want to do 40 minutes. Oh, I guess we could just do 40 minutes on Sonic, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) I I just wanted to get out real quick that, like, um, with, like, the change of writers and also mm. the change of performances, uh, like, Sonic has kind of changed throughout the uh, 20s and, uh, or 2000s and 2010s. Yeah. Um, Ryan Drummond's Sonic Adventure, like, his first line is, ah, oh, yeah, this is happening, which kind of se- <laughs> tells you everything you need to know one. about the character. Uh, except he... it's not, here's, here's the issue, and, mm-hmm. like, not to hate on Ryan Drummond, I don't know the dude. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad voice actor, but, like, there was something in the direction of that line because it's not... You just said it like a human would. <laughs> you said, oh, yeah, this is happening. The li- way the line is actually delivered is more along the lines of, 
oh yeah, this is happening. <laughs> and it's there's something about it that's so stilted that I absolutely love. <laughs> there's I I could talk for you know, a solid 30 minutes on the voice acting in the Sonic Adventure games alone, and I will choose not to for the sake of this podcast. Maybe another episode. Maybe another episode. Um, <laughs> Tweet at us with hashtag BSGpod if you want to hear Dylan's ramblings on Sonic the, the Sonic oh Adventure boy, voice acting. Oh boy, I have a lot of those. There, There is one other thing, like a, a moment in Sonic's history that I want to look at, because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, recently, there are a few games in which you have what they refer to as like nowadays Sonic interacting with classic Sonic. Mm. This first happened in oh, what was it called? Sonic Cron- Generations. Thank you, Generate. I want the only thing coming to mind was Colors, and I knew it wasn't Colors. Uh, Sonic Generations. It happens again in the recent uh, Sonic Forces. The, the OC generator game. And I just love that they... That's a really interesting thing for me to look at whenever I see it because you've got, you know, Sonic as he has come to be in his current iteration with, like, the big cocky grin and he's voiced by Roger Craig Smith doing all of these, like, <laughs> yeah! And then you've well, got, like, I'm the sorry. smaller, like, little rotund silent protagonist Sonic who rolls in and is just, like... If anything, they seem to have, like, toned down the ratitude. Yeah. No, uh, Classic Sonic has the wholesomeness that uh, yep. was missing. I, You know, I think a better way to describe it is, like, modern Sonic is, for all intents and purposes, Sonic as was marketed by America. Yep. And then Classic Sonic is Sonic as originally envisioned by his creators. Yeah, and it's a very cool little dynamic because it it they do such a good job of characterizing him as subtly different in all of these like much more wholesome ways from modern Sonic all through just the way that he moves and the way that he like you know physically inhabits the space and I just think that's a really cool sort of thing to look at like go look up any given cutscene involving both modern and classic Sonic for one of those games and just like enjoy the kind of surreal experience of seeing these two very different interpretations of this character next to each other I think all I wanted to say, and then we can move on from Sonic, is that for the, like, the three main voices, like, the first one is kind of like, ah, yeah, this is happening, which is, like, very excited about nothing. It is, Mm -hmm. like, it is a show of personality without any substance. Um, And as much as I love uh, the adventure games, I think that is the perfect way to describe the Sonic from (laughs) Sonic Adventure. (laughs) Very flashy with, like, zero personality. Um, Then you have Jason Griffith, who especially by Sonic Unleashed kind of gives the character a bit more of a genuineness like a lot of his lines are are delivered with kind of that wholesomeness that you're missing uh mm. in the other Sonics and then we get to uh Roger Craig Smith and uh the the people writing for him like give Roger Craig Smith like a very snarky personality um which is more apparent in Sonic Boom the TV series but uh all of the games that, like, Roger Craig Smith Sonic is in, like, very one-liner heavy, uh, very snarky, very, uh, he, he has to get the last joke in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I wanted to add. Yeah. It's also just fun for me, because now every time I watch Say Yes to the Dress, all I can hear is Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I'm glad I ruined that for you. No, you you ruined. <laughs> that's <laughs> Enhanced. fair. Enhanced. <laughs> um... I want to talk very briefly 
about the 80s phenomenon, uh, or 90s, I guess. When the fuck did those shows come out? Uh, Mario came out in the 90s, I want to say. Zelda came out in the 80s. Yeah. I want to... We're going to talk about the two sort of white elephants in the, in the room. That's uh, I wow, I just mixed my metaphors. Chris Chris sleepy boy. That's um, an elephant of a different color. That's <laughs> I was watching The Wizard of Oz earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm dying. We're going to talk uh, about the uh the Nintendo events. Um events. And I, I don't want to dwell on these because I think that, like, making fun of the Zelda cartoon and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show cartoon are both, like, no, those are not hot takes. Those are You know what the, is a hot take, though? The <laughs> Zelda cartoon is actually legitimately good. Fight me, Zelda fans. That's what I was going to get to as well. Okay, you know what? Shut up, because I'm going to say it right now. Come at me. Yeah, no, like... I do a lot of ca- categorizing of my media that I enjoy. And there is a category of media that Chris really, really likes that Chris accepts are not actually, like, good as defined by the masses. <laughs> like, I really, 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 really love bad campy movies. Yeah. I adore a, with all my heart Lou Ferrigno's Hercules. You're a, you're a mystery theater uh two th- wait no wow I completely mystery science theater three thousand yes theater three thousand wow yes yeah, thank I, you. But here's the thing, I love that show and I love what they do with like taking the piss out of these movies. But I would also just watch those movies and laugh and have a great time without their commentary. Exactly. <laughs> um, and for me, Zelda like the Zelda show and the Mario show both fall into this vein where like. I recognize what they are trying to do. They came about in the same era as things like G.I. Joe and things like the Street Fighter cartoon and all of these, like, cartoons as commercials, essentially. And when viewed alongside those sort of contemporaries and through that lens, like, the Zelda cartoon is a perfectly fine example of that kind of cartoon. I I like it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, a lot of people who take issue with this take issue specifically with the fact that Link, and this is a segue to talking about his character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We got there. Uh, yeah. Like butter. Uh, like anyway, butter. Uh, people take issue with the fact that Link is basically that 16-year-old who thinks he's Han Solo. <laughs> yup. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he's just like, you know, I decided to stay in the kingdom because maybe I'll get a smooch from the princess, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I'm here just because I want to kiss on a babe. <laughs> and, like, you know, that can be grating. But, like, considering that there are as many incarnations of Link as almost as many incarnations. There's a lot of Links. There's a lot <laughs> of Zelda there. games. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the fact that one of them is just a douche canoe makes me really <laughs> amused, okay? <laughs> oh, good term. Good terminology. (laughs) And, like, yes, like, yeah, yeah, excuse me, princess, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the show itself, like, there's some fun episodes, there's some fun gags. Like, they, it's not good. I'm not going to put it alongside any... It's not Batman the Animated Series, but that doesn't mean... Yeah, but, like, that's what I was going to get at. Like, there, 
if your issue is there are better cartoons, like, of course there are. <laughs> it's, it's like He-Man. Like, He-Man yeah. is not a good cartoon, but, like, I watched it for Skeletor, and, like, <laughs> you know, it's campy. And I'm getting both of those from the Zelda cartoon, and the Zelda cartoon's better animated. It's true. So, it's very true. You know, <laughs> have yeah. some fun. Yeah, same same deal with the, the Mario cartoon. Like, no, it's not good, but dang if I didn't have fun watching that show. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, let's, let's talk about the characterization of these characters like we originally set out to do. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I talked about Link. He's, he's this Han Solo wannabe who... You know, he constantly flirts poorly with uh, Zelda. And, you know, they, they kind of have this bickering back and forth. Uh, I, I'd say will they, won't they, but let's be honest, they never will in this incarnation. Nope, not, not, no. But, like, Link is this, you know, he, he he's this adventurer. He's this person who is used to a life of, like, camping and, like, sleeping in the woods and adventuring and getting into tavern fights and... You know, he he's very... He, he decides to live in the castle, and, like, he's bored with, like, the royal court life. But at the same time, he, he, he really... That Zelda, she a hottie. Thing that is worth noting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I completed my Google search. Wonderful. The Legend of Zelda, the game, came out in 1988. The Legend okay. of Zelda... Or, sorry, 1986. I was wrong. Yes. Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, came out in 1987. Okay. The next game was Link to the Past in 1991, meaning that when oh, this show came out in 1989, the only games it had to draw on were Legend of Zelda and Adventure of Link, neither of which really did anything textually to characterize this guy. Yeah, all you know all- about Link is that he showed up one day and someone asked him to save the princess and he did. Yeah. And in the second one, um, they add like, a, they raise the stakes a little bit, but like really they didn't do anything to give him a personality. Yeah. So what we've got to go off of this for this guy is the way he moves around. He's good with a sword. He's good with a shield. He's resourceful. He used to be a vagabond. He now is no longer. Yeah. And so, in, when you look at it like that, the the choices they made for how to like translate this into the series actually make a fair amount of sense. Like, are they the best choices they could have made? No. They don't but really do they... age particularly well. <laughs> no. But what Dylan was just saying about this guy all tracks with what the information that was available to be adapted was. Also, now I really want to go back and play The Adventure of Link. Oh, it's... That's... I actually like that one more than the first one. I do, too. We we have very similar against-the-grain game takes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God. Adventure of Link um, is really good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's slept on. Uh, yeah. Zelda fans are used to a very specific formula, and any deviation must be punished. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Breath of the Wild. Terrible Zelda game. Ah, uh, just the worst. <laughs> the worst um, Zelda game. You know, it's 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 fine on its own, you know, game of the year, whatever. But, like, as a Zelda game, what a <laughs> piece of trash. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> you think that's a Zelda game? Um, anyway. We're losing all five of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have 
anything more compelling than that to add about the Mario TV show. Like, yeah, like Mario they had are arguably Italian less. Yeah, Mario had arguably less character to plumb than Link did. Plum. And like, hmm? You said plumb. <laughs> Fuck you. It was not intentional. <laughs> oh, it wasn't? It wasn't. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, that show is responsible for a lot of what kind of became his character going forward, sort of. They also, you know, jettisoned a bunch of it. Like, I don't think he's from Brooklyn anymore. <laughs> but You don't know that. He could be. Um, What's yeah, New I'd... Donk City, Chris? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those... I think that those are both interesting to look at just from a, like, how little they had to mine and how, like, looking at what they did with it. Um, but yeah, go, go give Legend of Zelda another try. Yeah. Like that show's kind of fun. Just, just look at it as a generic eighties fantasy show. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, but we have one more thing we want to talk about, and it's a big one. Um, mm. both Dylan and I, because again, we have very similar, just like takes on games in general. We both really like us some, uh, some Metroid, some Boy, Samus. Boy, do I. I, some I Samus love Aran. me some Samus. Uh, for those of you who are not as familiar, the Metroid series was originally, uh, a side-scrolling exploration action game series the first one was on the original nintendo then there was super metroid on the snes and there's been a bunch of different iterations including uh some 3d first person games for the gamecube and Wii, the metroid prime series that are like metroid prime is one of my favorite games of all time it is hey, same so very good uh but they all star this character named samus aran who is the coolest uh, the big reveal at the end of the first Metroid game, if you beat it, is that this badass, like, fully power-armored, butt-kicking mercenary you've been playing as the whole game is Are actually a Are they human? Are they a what? robot? We don't know. And then yeah. she turns out to be a girl! And, Sorry, you know, I this blue eight-year-olds in the 80s brains straight out of their heads. But that was sort of, like, the big reveal. And then throughout all of her games through the Metroid Prime series, Samus was always characterized as, like, she works on her own because she thinks she can do more and better that way than working with the military. She's highly capable. She's very resourceful. Most of the games begin with her, like, in some way being stripped of her arsenal. Like, she's got this armor suit that fails her in some way, and she has to go, like, sort of scavenging through this hostile world gathering the pieces back together so that she can become strong enough to like take on more and more challenges again and sometimes she just doesn't even have an excuse she just starts the game without any of her old stuff yep and so all in all like again this is a series where you never really get a ton of character moments in the way that you would conceive of them in like another piece of media like you don't get a ton of time of like here is 
Samus interacting with a person in a way that doesn't involve her gun. There are exceptions. Uh, is it is it Super Metroid or Zero Mission where she, like, adopts the baby Metroid? Uh, that's the end of Super Met. Or that's that I... is the end of Som- That is the end of Metroid Two: Return of Samus. Okay, um, I had the... my I had my wires crossed. Yeah, there is a kind of prologue, the story so far intro to Super Metroid, where it shows her giving the baby Metroid to some scientists for research. Uh, for again, for anyone who doesn't know, Metroids are face huggers from Alien, essentially. Thank you. I was about to say the same yeah, thing. Like not exactly, but close enough. They are. Scary alien parasites. If you find one, odds are you're dead. Yeah. Again, silent protagonist, but one with a lot of sort of stuff about them that could be intuited or was included in, like, title crawls and uh, manuals. Sometimes Nintendo Uh, Power comics. Yeah. Just, like, she was silent, but she very much had a character. And then they decided to give her a game in which she had a voice and was going to serve as sort of an introduction, like, sort of a kind of an origin story if i remember correctly yes gonna gonna fully yes no. cop gonna fully cop to we're gonna be talking about metroid other m yeah uh i don't want to belabor it too much because like the metroid other m is bad horse was beat to death years ago when that game actually came out yeah but it's interesting to talk about in context of our current discussion because it shows a lot of ways that this can go really wrong um <laughs> So, I I guess just because Metroid is something I I revisit frequently and is mm-hmm. uh, probably a little bit more prevalent in my mind, uh, this is technically not Samus's first talking game. Um, she has a couple lines in Metroid Four, which came out like I want to say I was in second grade. Um, I've never but played like Metroid Four, huh? Never played Metroid Four. Uh, Fusion for the Game Boy Advance. Oh, then I have played Metroid Four. <laughs> okay, <laughs> got that. Yeah, uh, but anyway... I love um, Fusion. Fusion's fucking great. I forgot that she talks, though. Uh, so, for most of the game, she has, like, these journal logs uh, where she just kind of muses to herself about events. And, like, that's not really, like, a huge voice, so to speak. But um, she does have a... Like, she has a couple scenes. The first major one is when she kind of realizes, like, these Metroids, these super dangerous parasites that... I was hired to exterminate, completely wipe out. Um, well, it looks like the government is recreating them. <laughs> That's sketchy. I'm going <laughs> to yell at my superior officer, and then she does that. Um, and I think, you know, she has, like, maybe a couple lines at the end of the game. Uh, so, you know, you she speaks, but, like, not so much that, like, her character is kind of defined by her words over her actions. Yeah. Like in other games. Metroid Other M came out, I want to say, eight years later. Uh, and Either 2010 it is, or 2011. Yeah, it is very text-heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, worth uh, worth noting, and this is just, just an aside, just, you know, keep this in the back of your head. Nintendo had this character that was, like, the video game, like, badass lady protagonist where the fact that she's a lady, like, isn't belabored. Uh, she wrote the book on that. You yeah, might even like, say, like she is, she is a female character, and they don't feel the need to like rub that in your face. They just let her be a badass female character, which is you know kind of as progressive as video games as a medium get. Honestly, it was it was kind of a last minute decision. They already had the character, they had the abilities, 
Um, they wrote the instruction manual already, and then, like, someone just suggested, yo, what if she was a woman? And then, like, the rest is history. Yeah, um, which is great. And then, for this game in which they were going to give her a voice and give her agency, they gave the game to Team Ninja, whose most notable contribution, or, like, most maybe notorious contribution to the world of video games is that they pioneered the term jiggle physics. Oh my god. <laughs> for the yeah. Yeah, they Dead did or do Alive that. games in which each of the female characters in a bikini's boobs would be rendered with its own physics engine. <laughs> that is a decision that blows my mind, and I think that if you keep that in mind, it will make a lot of what we're about so, to talk about make a little more sense. So I, I actually do want to stop you right there, because... yeah. Believe it or not, Team Ninja is not to blame for the writing another M. Or... I, no, I mean, I mm-hmm. I wanted to come around on that. Team Ninja was responsible for the gameplay. This game is a mess developmentally because the visuals, like the the cinematics, were outsourced to yet another company. So like the okay, gameplay I did was Team Ninja. About that, yeah, like the gameplay was Team Ninja. The cutscenes were farmed out to another like audiovisual company. Uh, like. There's a great episode of Extra Credits on YouTube that you should go watch where they talk about, like, what went wrong with Other M, and there's a lot that can be learned there, and I'll, you know, I'll leave it more to them. They do a better job of historicalizing this game than we'll be able to. But, suffice to say, it was a mess, and what we ended up with was... not... Samus? (laughs) People were mad. Um... People, People still are mad. I'm still mad. Yeah, like, uh, I'm not mad anymore, but, like, there was a while where people thought that was the death of the franchise. That's how bad this game was. Yeah. Or that's how bad this game was received, rather. Like, mechanically, the game was fine. Uh, Story-wise, the game is really dumb, but yeah, fine. It's uh, called Other M, which is kind of like Mother. Oh, God. Like, I, I just saved you. I just gave you the thesis <laughs> statement of Metroid Other M. You know... Anyone who's never heard of this game thinks he's lying, but he's not. <laughs> so, um, okay, uh, let, let's actually talk about the character, yeah. though. Um, so, you know, uh, like we were saying earlier, Samus is this really cool character in that a lot of what her personality is and what she does is up to you. Because mm-hmm. so much of the Metroid games are these lonely, isolated experiences. They are all basically you exploring an isolated alien planet with no other no other uh the life that is sentient on that planet is hostile so like there's no real supporting cast there's no there's no one for samus to really bounce her character off of so with that in mind uh other m kind of goes in the other direction uh it's almost kind of got like a slasher movie uh format to it so samus has a lot of characters to talk to most of which get axed off by the end Yep. But um anyway, uh you know, Samus prior to Other M was largely up to the interpretation of the player and how they wanted to perceive her actions and what she does. Um there's also some uh there is some supplementary material. There was a prequel manga uh that like went over her entire origin story and stuff like that which can inform your thoughts on the character as well. I'm not going to get too much into that because that's obscure stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's there. 
Um, and I think it is important for like how the Metroid fan base as a whole has perceived this character. Um, usually st- uh, very stern, ready to take, not ready to take orders, but like ready to help those in need, quick to respond to distress signals, very professional. Yeah, more you know, than one game like begins with just like, there's a distress signal on this planet. You were just passing by, but you're going to stop in and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is a lot of free, like we were saying last episode, there is a lot of freedom with how to perceive this character. And so let's get to Other M now, where Samus is, oh boy, where do we start? Okay, here's where we start. Um, So I think the, I, I've seen like the demo reel for the actress for Samus in this game. And, you know, as fate would have it she's actually a pretty good actress um yeah. so i want to i want to get that out of the way uh, a lot of people like to attack actors and actresses for poor deliveries or poor uh performances that is not always the case yeah. and a lot this of the times a, case... a lot of the times that can be you know not to say that actors never make mistakes like exactly i have had plenty of roles where i'm like that was not my best work right right but a lot of the time Part of that, you know, a a fair amount of the blame can also be placed at the feet of directors or even the script itself. Like, there are some scripts that are just hard to act and hard to get anything good out of. So, with Samus in this game, Metroid Other M specifically, Samus is voiced... The way she is directed follows a trope in Japanese performance. Uh, that's because the voice direction was done in part by the game's director. I don't remember his name. You'll have to forgive me. But... Uh, Yoshio Sakamoto. Oh, thank you. No, you that's had the that desi- on hand. That, that might be just the designer. I don't know if he did the voice direction. Uh, Either way. It sounds right. But anyway, uh, he, he did the voice direction for Samus's English voice. And so, Chris, I've talked to you th- about this before, like in like, Fooly Cooly and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so Samus is based off of a very Japanese stock character archetype called the Kudere. Um, and that's kind of like a woman who is like very passive and monotone and cold. And so, you know, Samus being a silent protagonist, that archetype actually kind of fits well with her. Yeah. But like, because that is not everybody's shared Samus, like the fact that they took this hard route with her kind of takes away like whatever version of the character anyone had. Yeah. Um, where like now instead of committing to a characterization of Samus, they have committed to the lack of character for Samus. Yeah. Uh, and Which so is less the, exciting in kind of inherently. Yeah. The actress kind of is forced to deliver her lines with this monotone calculate, like very calculated monotonous voice. And you know, again, that works for Japanese vocal performance because that is something that is culturally known there. That is something that, you know, a Japanese listener or someone listening to a Japanese performance can hear and identify and understand. That doesn't quite make the jump to English so well. Yeah. And so you have this Samus who will have, like, long droning monologues about her past and her relationship with her commanding officer who she sees as a surrogate father figure and it just really takes away a lot from the character yeah and i want us to you know there's more to say on this again this is kind of a dead horse at this point uh just other m you know not being good 
But I think the thing about it that is most egregious to me, uh, to go back to something that we've discussed multiple times on this podcast, character is action. Like, if you want to know what a character is really about, look at what they do, not what they say. And in Other M, you know how I said a little bit ago that a big part of the Metroid games has always been like you have to explore to like find the gear that you need to take on bigger challenges. Uh, sometimes it's because your suit has been damaged. Sometimes it's just like, eh, I'm going to go see what this planet has. In Other M, if my memory serves me correctly, you don't go finding your gear. You just don't turn it on until your superior officer tells you to. Yeah. And, like, for me, that is the biggest... That's the, like, twist of the knife into this character that hurts the most because, like, in making that choice, in making it so that Samus just, like, waits for this dude to tell her it's okay to use the super blaster, you take away so much of her agency and you take away so much of, like, the actions in previous games that have defined this character and have made her so beloved for so many people. And, like, that... I don't know, I think that that, more than anything else, is the biggest, like, Manchu, why'd you do that? And a huge subplot of this game is uh, Samus's relationship with this superior officer. Yeah. And I actually don't remember what was going with this. Uh, I mean, th- I re- to be, again, I, I don't remember a ton of this game. My mind didn't mm-hmm. want to hang on to a lot of the, the details. But from what I recall, that relationship is very, like, for lack of a better term, it feels very mansplainy. Yeah. Like, there's a very kind of yucky and kind of condescending power dynamic between the two of them that, again, really doesn't gel with the image of this, like, competent, independent Samus that we have gotten through all of these games in which she didn't speak. And to have that be the person who is holding her ability to be at full power away from her for, like, no justified story reason... Yeah. Like, really stops this from feeling like the Samus that we've known in all the other games. Um, I guess on this topic, there is one more thing I will talk about, and then we yeah. can end that. And I'll preface this first by saying there was an interesting way you could do this, or there, there was a nuanced way you could do this angle for this character that the, I, I don't think, I think they kind of dropped the ball on, but there is a character in Metroid named Ridley. uh, Yes, named after alien director Ridley Scott. and Looks like something Ridley Scott would make. Yeah, he he looks kind of like a pterodactyl, space pterodactyl. Um, He is, for all intents and purposes, Samus's Joker. He is the thing that kills Samus's parents. That's right. To address uh, earlier discussion. Um, And, you know, Samus runs into him back when she is an infant. And so uh, Ridley is, for all intents and purposes, dead, but he is accidentally cloned. It's a long story. I won't get into it. So Samus runs into Ridley again. And Ridley, who is a character that, within the context of Other M, has never been addressed or talked or touched upon, uh, Samus runs into him and instantly has a post-traumatic shock. Um, she, She kind of has this scene where like she reverts back to the helplessness she feels as an infant and she is stunned and one of the soldiers apparently dies to get her to snap back out of it and i actually think that i think samus dealing with 
you know, PTSD. I think that is an interesting angle for the character. I think you can do interesting things with that. But there are two reasons why this doesn't work. The first reason is because within the story of Other M, they don't establish this post-traumatic shock. Or, yeah, uh, there's, like, they, there's, they no, there's no reveal of the Chekhov's gun beforehand for this to be a payoff for. Yeah. So, you know, it feels cheap in that regard. Um, it, it just kind of further infantilizes Samus, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And the other reason why it doesn't really work is because, you know, you as the player have fought and killed an incarnation of Ridley at least four or five times prior to the release of this game. Yeah. Uh, the games are out of chronological mm-hmm. order, so, but even then... You would, st- I think Samus still has canonically fought Ridley four times up yeah, to this you, point. You need some kind of hint that this is going to happen for this moment to pay off story-wise. Yeah. And also, like, I, I, I agree with you that this could have been done interestingly. Uh, not to harp on this game or, like, hype this game too much, but Iconoclast has a very cool scene near the <laughs> end involving dealing with traumas that is very cool and symbolic and like very well done look up the final boss fight of iconoclast if you want more details on that like all this is to say this kind of story and this kind of character beat can be made compelling and interactive but that's not what they did right they they made it a cutscene that wasn't earned for a character that we knew nothing about in the context of this game as a story yeah Kind of a bummer. Downer of a t- note to end it. <laughs> yeah, but okay, let's fix it. Butts, 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 butts. Uh, Persona Five. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about the yeah. Persona series. <laughs> uh, I I was originally debating whether or not we should, but we're already running into an hour, so I'll make it quick. Uh, all I will say is that those adaptations of those games are weird because they do this thing where they give each character their implied character, but then on top of that, they like say. What if they took the weirdo option every so often? Uh, <laughs> so, like, half of the time you have, like, a compelling character in a story, and then the other half of the time you have someone who feels like they're being controlled by a shithead 14-year-old. <laughs> it me. <laughs> um, Which works for games, but not really for a separate medium. And yeah. that well, ha- that just distracted you from what we were just talking about now everyone's laughing and having a good time again (laughs) thank you all for listening to yet another episode of backstage gaming uh like i said this episode is going to be coming out on the 24th and then we are going to take a two-week hiatus because ain't nobody got time to record is it gonna be a two-week hiatus or just a one-week hang on let me let me check this no it'll just be a one-week hiatus we will not release an episode on new year's eve uh because i'm going to be traveling the week of christmas and don't want to have to like cram an episode out in two days which i'm gonna have to do with this one but shush um i love you it's okay it'll be fine uh and then so we will be back with our 10th episode we've been we're into the double digits y'all we're gonna be back with our 10th episode on january 7th uh and we have a weird idea that we're workshopping for that so get hyped for kind of a goofy one thank you again for listening it means a ton to us that you are here week after week or maybe for the first time we love you just the same either way and we hope that you will continue to listen and will maybe help us by spreading the word sharing us on social media on twitter on facebook telling your friends telling your ice cream man telling the garbage (laughs) person as they take away your trash 
they need Please podcasts. Please spread the word in... of BSG Pod. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, and you can spread that word through our social media channels, which Dylan are. We got a Facebook. We got a Twitter. Handle is at BSG underscore cast. We're on YouTube, man. And we also have a Tumblr. If Tumblr's still up, Tumblr is still up, so I'll probably start updating the t- uh, the Tumblr again. You can also please feel free to check us out at our website, which is bsgpod.com. That's bsgpod.com. We've got our episodes up there for download. We've got bios for Dylan and me. We've got a contact page. We've got a page with like definitions of theater terms that we've used that will soon, I'm going to spend some time on my travels doing this, contain some transcripts for our episodes as well, because I need to get that going because accessibility matters. Shout out it, to the homie, Brennan French. He did our logo. That's B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French dot squarespace dot com. He's a great graphic designer. Bring my friend back, you freak. <laughs> Never. Um, he's mine now. <laughs> Joey from Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. Uh, I can do all the voices. <laughs> thank you also to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. You can find his music at soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. He is great. And one more time, thank you so much for listening. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to fly to Cleveland and fight Joey Wheeler for control of Dylan's body. Hey, forget about it. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your holiday season. I'm sorry. I love you all. Bye. (laughs) Bye.